Thank you, Randy. Good morning, Church at the Red Door. Uh, well, we've been saying it for a long time. I'm, I would say good to see you. I'm actually, uh, I've gotten to see a few of you as you've returned. Uh, some of you I have not been able to see yet. I know many of you have not returned yet, uh, just kind of based on some of the travel stuff that's going on here in uh, our wonderful Southern California. But uh, anyway, we are pressing through here, and uh, I'm excited about this morning. I'm excited about these home groups. I just want to Welcome all the home groups that are starting to meet, that are starting to emerge kind of organically, uh, even up in uh, Oregon. I want to say hello to those of meeting at Illahee Country Club uh, with Thompson so uh, and other places that are kind of starting to emerge, maybe six people together or eight people together. We're trying to stay in protocol, as we've been talking about from the beginning. But, uh, you know, you just need to see people. Laura was telling me something uh, last night. She had read an article and there were places where people were so lonely. They said, look, I don't care if I get COVID. I know I'm at risk, but I just have to have a hug. You know, it's kind of one of those things. So I think we're certainly moving into that fatigue level place. And, and I just want you to know that uh, we are doing everything we can as balanced and as judiciously as we can to make sure everybody's safe and that we can, you know, eventually get through this. So uh, I know we talk about it every week, but it's, uh, it's such a... It's such a at the center of everybody's minds, and uh, so anyway, we're but we are going to move from COVID, thank God, back into our progression through the Gospel of Luke. Now, a lot of people ask all the time and say, "Well, where do you get these sermons? You know, do you go to Sermon Central and everybody kind of you know people pastors go to there to get their sermons?" No, I, I read the text just like you do. I open it up and I say, I always ask, and this is what I think you should do when you're studying your Bible. Lord, what what do you want to speak to me through this text? Now, for me, it's kind of a dual purpose. Not only is what are you going to speak to me and how are you going to impact me, but then how are you going to impact our community and how can I then take what you give me and then pass that on to them? And that's kind of how the church is constructed. So when I look at this passage, we're going to kind of get into the what would traditionally be called the Christmas passage. It's angel, the angel Gabriel approaching Mary. And you know, there's a lot of different ways we could go here, but as we unpack this this morning, I have entitled this message, The Expectant Ones. Now, that's kind of a play on words because obviously both Mary and then John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth, are going to be expecting here, but the expectant ones. So um, I'm hoping that we can, uh, I'm, I think there's something in here that may profoundly, profoundly encourage you this morning. You know, I'm so hopeful about this. So are you ready for this? Get your Bibles, you know, get your social separation or whatever, but get your Bibles and we're going to dive in. Let me just pray. Lord, thank you again for this morning. Lord, help, help. Speak to all of us in uniquely different ways that are touch us right where we are this morning. And I know you can do that through the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I want you to grab your Bibles. I want you to go to Luke chapter 1. And we've kind of, we we looked at the first portion and then we kind of skipped ahead to see kind of what happened with uh, Zacharias and, and the impact, you know, after he'd become mute, uh, after the angel had said something to him about the birth of his son and he couldn't speak until he kind of faithed in there. And we talked about that barren womb last week. But now we're going to kind of backtrack and then go forward. Okay, so we're going to pick up this story. Uh, of how Mary is encountered. And this is powerful. This is powerful. Are you ready? Verse 26, Luke 1, 26. says, Now in the sixth month, 
the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth. So if you've ever been with me to Israel, this would be in the very northern part, about 25 miles from the Sea of Galilee, roughly. And uh, this is where Mary and Joseph were both living, and, but not together yet. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, this is going to be the context of our message this morning, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Have you ever thought about that? Am I, am I favored of the Lord? What does it mean to be favored? Who are the favored ones in, of the Lord? And then the bigger question, why was Mary favored? Why? Have you ever, I mean, what was it? I mean, some think that she could have been uh, in, er, in her early teens. I mean, what would it have been in Mary's life that would have provoked this visitation by this angel, greetings, you know, this, this favored one. I mean, why? That's our question this morning, why? But she was very perplexed at this statement and was pondering what kind of greeting this was, as you can imagine. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus, and he's gonna be great. He's going to be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Not a transitional king, not a just kind of a, no, forever. This is the forever king we talk about every week. And his kingdom will have no end. But Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason also, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. This is going to be the God-man. This is going to be the seed of God planted in a woman, a physical flesh and blood woman. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth herself has conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called infertile is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. A little bit what we talked about last week, you know, those barren places in your life. And now Elizabeth is now six months in and the response from the Gabriel was nothing's impossible with God. So whatever those barren places are in your life, as we talked about last week, nothing's impossible with God. This is all, God can speak something into existence out of nothing. This is, there's never a situation that he is up against that he's like, well, scratching his head. That just doesn't happen with God. And Mary said, Behold, I catch this, the Lord's bond slave or bond servant, may it be done to me according to your word. So you see, number one, you see an identity in Mary of great humility. She identifies herself as a bond slave, a slave to the Most High, and then immediately obedience. Not, well, it's maybe we can do this a little later. I, this doesn't fit into my plans right now. I, I'm, I'm about to get married. This is going to throw off everything. There's going to be misunderstanding. She didn't argue at all. I mean, that is perplexing to me. Why she wouldn't go down the pros and cons list and she would think, well, my goodness, there had to be, there are a lot more cons here. I'm, I'm not yet even with Joseph. I'm going to be accused. I'm going to lose my fiance. I'm going to be an outcast in the community. Have you ever thought about those things? And yet her immediate reaction was, well, let it be done to me as you've spoken according to your word. Wow. 
Just, just obedience. Just, here's the word. Let it be done to me. I'm, I am your bond slave. You can you see the humility in this? And the angel departed. Now, immediately, then verse 39, this time Mary set out and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah. So she began the track south to the hills in, around Jerusalem, the Judean hills, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. Now remember that. We're going to talk about that in a minute. That's John the Baptist leaping in the womb. I just love this. It's repeated twice. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, those of you who have a Catholic background or practicing Catholics, you know that well. Uh, I don't know that we're called to pray to Mary or certainly to worship Mary, but she, let me just be clear, she is a blessed woman. Elizabeth strikes it perfectly. Imagine carrying the very seed of God in your own body. I mean, it's just an unbelievable, she is a huge actor on the stage of God's cosmic play of the redemption of the earth. I mean, what a role she has been enlisted to play. And again, we're gonna be asking the question, well, why Mary? Why Mary? And it says, and how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Now, Elizabeth's already aware of who this child is gonna be, the mother of my Lord, a yet unborn child. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. So we can see that Mary, one of the reasons is Mary had a tremendous amount, simply a tremendous amount of faith. She was a godly woman and, and here's going to be my proposition to you this morning, or my, I would say this, she was an expectant one. And why is that? Well, listen now to Mary's song, we call it the Magnificat. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. So you see a little bit what we saw last week, worship. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, and he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave or bond servant. Same thing we get here. Mary is self-identifying as a bond slave. And behold, from now on, generations will call me blessed, faith, for the mighty one has done great things for me. And holy is his name, that attitude of worship. And his mercy is to generation after generation to those who fear him. So she was also a person who feared the Lord. He has done mighty deeds. In other words, as she's going through this, she's kind of trying to articulate, well, why did he choose me? Well, maybe I'm someone who fears the Lord. Maybe it's that I am a bond slave, a self-identified bond slave. I walk in humility. In other words, I walk in sanity. I'm not insane. There is a God and I'm not God and, and therefore I serve this God. Verse 51 says, and he has done mighty deeds with his arm and he's scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones. Again, can you see what we talked about last week? This flipping, this turning of situations, what was barren now becomes fruitful, and some of the things that appeared fruitful are now being made barren by the Lord. That's the kingdom of heaven. It's an upside-down kingdom. He has, all, he has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the, hungry, filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He's given help to his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Now catch this. Now this is going to be the crux of what we're going to talk about this morning. 
just as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Now, why is that so important? Because you've got to understand, folks, that to be this actor on the cosmic stage of God's redemptive plan, for Mary to take that role, to be the favored one, oh, you know, this amazing, you know, greetings favored one, she was expectant. In other words, when she says this, she was looking forward to the consolation of Israel, as we'll see later. She was looking forward to the Messiah who would come, the promised one. She wasn't just caught up in materialism or just caught up in her marriage or just caught up in her job or just caught up in, you know, all the different things that a young woman could have been caught up in. She still was riveted. She was expectant. She was thinking about the king who would come. And in that expectation, in that faith, it, it's, it just poured out here as he spoke to our fathers. I mean, there's a king coming and, and I get to play this role. She was definitely expectant. So who are the favored ones in the earth? Well, I think there are some very clear qualities that emerge. We've already alluded to some of them. I'm going to give you some of these lists and then I'm going to go back. And, then, and I, what we want to do this morning is we want to look at a few of the other actors that we see in the first couple of chapters of Luke. And we're going to see similar qualities in them. Uh, how did God assemble the cast? I mean, that's what we're looking at. Okay, so here is a play which has been replayed for 2,000 years. How did God choose those who would be part of this cosmic play? How did this come about? Where did they come from? And why? Why were they chosen? Well, I think they held many of these qualities. Okay, so let me just go through a quick list here. Number one, we've sent, we've talked about, they were, they were humble. I mean, look at it. God didn't choose a king. He, choose, he chose someone from Nazareth and Joseph and, and Mary and kind of unknown people. Yes, in the line of David to fulfill the prophets, but nobody who was notable in terms of what people would have known uh, they were sane. In other words, they realized, they walked in sanity, that there was a God and they weren't him. And if there is a God, then we should serve that God. I mean, it was just simple as that. They, they considered themselves bond slaves. They were attentive and watchful, as we will see. Now, this is my proposal to you. Let's look at all the characters. Were they watchful, expectant people? Or were they so caught up in their own lives that they didn't really have a a view to the future. They were obedient in the fear of the Lord. They were pure in the sense that they were intentional and they were in pursuit of godliness. Now we know Romans 3 says no man is without sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But they were practicers like we've talked about. They practiced righteousness. 1 John chapter 3, those who practice righteousness are righteous, but they were practicers. They were pursuers. They were expectant of a king to return. They were worshipers. And lastly, they had the courage to obey and to speak and to talk about what God was doing. In other words, they weren't like, well, I, I appreciate what God's doing in the earth, but I'm afraid to talk about it for fear that, well, you know, some people think I'm crazy or people think, you know, I'll be rejected in some way. They were courageous people. And they acted. When, when the Lord spoke and he revealed his plans, they were already in a state of expectation. And when that happened, they immediately responded. 
And of course, our question is going to be running through all morning that we that I'm asking myself this week. Jeff, are you living in expectation? And what should we be living in expectation of? Now, all of us are living to some degree in a place of expectation. But what it what are you riveted on? What are your expectations? Is it just retirement or it's just my family? Or it's fine to have expectations. But where does it primarily stem from, because as we'll see in a minute, if the coming back of Jesus is your primary expectation, it will inform and radically change the rest of the way you view the world and change pretty much everything in your life. Okay, so let's talk about this. Now, John, first of all, John the Baptist had been one who was called to prepare the way for the Lord. He certainly was listening he was expecting. In fact, and I love this, is that John was such a person of expectation about the Messiah coming. So was that central to his thinking that you've got to realize that he leaped in his mother's womb. Now I realize that, you know, is that a conscious decision? I mean, no, but it gives us a picture of the, the core of who John the Baptist was. Who was he? Man, he was all about one thing. And it was really summarized in his statement. I must decrease that he might increase. He was the one called to prepare the way for the Lord. So why was John chosen? Well, obviously God's sovereign. He can choose anybody he wants. But John, his whole life was devoted to the service of the king. And he even did a backflip in the womb. I mean, you want to talk about a life of expectation, a life riveted on the coming of Jesus, the king, the forever king. Well, that certainly defines John. How about Zechariah and Elizabeth? I mean, they were in prayer for having a child, even though they knew they were way past the age. And in fact, when the promise came, uh, Zechariah had a hard time even believing it. And yet they were expecting a child and they were people of expectation. And as part of the priestly class, he clearly was a man of faith, and Elizabeth as well. You can see it there in her conversation with Mary. Oh, the mother, why would the mother of my Lord, can you see that expectation rising in them? It just gives us a clear indication of who they were. Of course, Mary, we've already talked about, so beautifully humble, and her identity as a, as a bond slave. I mean, a perfect person. Maybe not from the world's perspective, but from God. Maybe maybe you're out there today and you go, you know what, nobody really knows me. I haven't been to seminary. I don't, I don't, I don't really have a place in the kingdom. If your heart is riveted on Jesus and his coming back to earth and him setting up a forever kingdom, can I just say, if your heart is riveted on that, you can you too can become an actor on the stage. Because the play continues. The play doesn't just stop when Jesus is born or when he dies on the cross or when he read it, it continues the play is continuing this unfolding of God's redemptive plan is right in front of us and we all have an opportunity to be actors on that stage do you desire that are you in a place of expectation I want to talk to you just a little bit about the shepherds in the field you know it's kind of an odd thing because we don't get a whole lot of insight but we gather we can gather just something we can glean something here and so I'm going to have an elder in our church, uh, we all know him well, very well, he and his wife, Kristen. But I'm going to have Chris come and read this next passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 2. We're going to kind of skip forward now. 
15 through 20, this encounter that happened in the fields in and around Jerusalem. Uh, let's see what happens here with these shepherds in the field, actually around Bethlehem, which is just uh, outside of Jerusalem. Take it away, Chris. Well, good morning, Church of the Red Door family. My name is Chris Herman. I'm an elder here at the church and chairman of the Property Development Committee. My wife, Kristen, as you know, is a trustee, and she and I've been married over 26 years. We have two children, Tim and Elizabeth, and Elizabeth lives here with her husband, Eric, and we have two lovely grandchildren, Madison and Mackenzie. Let me start with reading Luke 2, 15 through 20 for you. When the angels had departed from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem, then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen him, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed about the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told to them. Back to you, Jeff. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate that, brother. I really, uh, we love you. you. You've done, you and Kristen have done so much for this church, and we're so grateful, so grateful for the Hermans, so grateful, and their entire family, and their entire family, Eric and Lizzie and their kids, and we're just so, so happy that you're part of our community. Uh, but a couple things that stand out to me in what Chris just read. Number one, notice, let's go straight when they heard it to Bethlehem, immediate obedience, and they came in a hurry. So, so, I mean, they were obedient. They were people of faith. You say, well, yeah, but they'd seen this amazing, amazing angelic visitation. I mean, of course, no, they were already in that place. I mean, I think a lot of people today, if they had some kind of visitation and they were skeptical and not people of expectation, they might have saying, well, what did we really see? Was this, you know, was this a hologram? Was this something crazy? What did we really, did we really know that we saw that? Am I dreaming? No, there was an immediacy to their obedience. And then lastly, they were so worshipful, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen and everything that had been told to them. So we see an immediacy in them and we see this, even though you kind of kind of look deep into this, and they were worshipful. They were nobodies. They were shepherds in the field. Nobody was paying any attention to them, but God was. God was. We've been talking about these shepherds in the field. They have been played in so many different you know places and nativity scenes all over i mean they're they're if you think about it these little statues of these guys these shepherds that come and and uh, someone's always part of it can you imagine the role they have played and then been retold for two thousand years about these guys why obedient immediacy worshipers they too were expecting. So when they heard the king has arrived, well, well, what are you talking about? Bethlehem? You know, what good thing can come out of Bethlehem? No, that wasn't their attitude. Let's talk about the Magi from the east. Now, I love this. I, this is going to kind of blow your mind. I want. I did went back and did a little research and actually, actually used uh, uh, Israel College of the Bible in a paper they had written uh, a number of years back in 2018 about these Magi. Now, we always talk about the three wise men. They were the Magi. We don't know if it was three. They brought three gifts, but we don't know if it was three or four or five or six. Who were they? Where did they come from? And what was that all about? So I'm going to read it first real quick, Matthew chapter 2. We, Luke doesn't actually have the account of the Magi, uh, but Matthew does. But it's still part of the 
part of the story here. Matthew 2, 1 through 6. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, notice their language here. They're expecting a king. How would they know that? Where were they? Well, we kind of know the story. For we saw his star in the east. We saw his star in the east. And we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea. For this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means among the least of the tribes of Judah, for you will come forth from, excuse me, for from you will come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Well, how did they know this? Who were these people? Let's go back and just get a little bit of an insight. This goes all the way back to the Sumerian times, not Samaria, which would be the northern part of Israel, the Samaritans that we know well, but Sumeria was the epicenter of real culture. It was the New York City or the Hong Kong or whatever, the London of its time. It was a central city in the, in the world, and, and a lot of the things came out of there. Actually, where Abraham eventually emerged, the Chaldeans. And they had become fascinated with not astronomy, but astrology, just the application, the stars, the heavenly host. They were so involved in that. And this is centuries before the time of Jesus. And this is even back before the time of Daniel. I mean, but during the time of Daniel, but it emerged even before that, about 600 years before the time of Jesus, 7th century. And even back as far as uh, before that, they were studying the stars. They were trying to apply. So when a, a feast, a famine would come, they would say, oh, we've not appeased the gods. And, and they would look out, ascribe names to the planets. That's where, have you ever thought about where we get uh, Monday, Moon Day, Sunday, Sun Day? They were looking at the planets and the stars and and or Thor, the god Thor, Thor's day. That's where we get. Well, I mean, a lot of this has impacted us. We've kind of inherited this language, even as much as, have you ever thought about why they're 360 degrees? The sexagesimal thing that happens uh, 60 times, you know, why we have 60 minutes in an hour and, uh, and, and, and 360 degrees in a, in a circle uh, to describe a, a complete circle. Well, where do we get this from? Well, it goes all the way back to these astrologers who were projecting out, trying to appease the, the gods of the planets and ascribing things, but they were learning things. So a lot of this was misguided. It was their wisdom. It wasn't biblical wisdom. It was, uh, it was even, uh, you know, you could see this as this kind of this, uh, um, um, it, was, it was, it was silliness is what it was, as astrology is today. And the Bible very clearly in Deuteronomy tells us not to seek the stars or try to bring up the dead or any of these kinds of things. This is just the occult kind of stuff that was going on during that time. Now, what's fascinating about this is that where did these guys get the Jesus part in this? Well, we have to go back a little bit to understand during the time of the Babylonian captivity. Daniel was one who lived among these men and women. Now, you got to realize the Greeks and the Medes and the Persians and all these post-Babylonian. Now, by this time, these are now Babylon uh, during the time of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, etc., uh, that we know about. And uh, Daniel comes in as a as a fearer, a God fear of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, part of his forefathers. 
and he is able to basically take them to school about what this really means. It's not about astrology and attaching some non-existent gods to the stars and planets. No, this is something completely different. And so God sends someone to basically explain the truth about the stars because God creates, he na- the Bible says he names every star. So as the Jews were taken off to Babylon in the 6th century BC, God was killing two birds with one stone. He was accomplishing his purposes regarding Israel, but it was also reaching the Babylonians who were living in air and fear and worshiping the sun and the moon and the stars, as we've suggested. Daniel was a slave among the Babylonians, and he was also God's ambassador, chosen to teach them about the one true Lord of all creation. And uh, you remember the encounter he has, and he was called to bow down and worship, and he refused. But eventually, he interprets the dream of the king. And then the, and the response was, well, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner uh, can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he did. But he did more. He went on, and in Daniel chapter 9, he talks about this Messiah coming. And he gives some specific dates and times. Now, what this did, it didn't have to, but evidently in these magi, after 600 years, they have faith. They're believing. They're believing this prophet Daniel. They had heard what he said. They knew he had interpreted the dream. This is, by all probability, the only way they could have gotten this information. He saw the power of Daniel's God. They did. And it held for 600 years, generation after generation, expecting the king, expecting the king, expecting the king. And then they saw the star. You know what's fascinating is that studying the skies around the time of the birth of Jesus using uh, NASA technology, a guy named Rick Larson, discovered an extremely rare triple conjunction. The star the senior star, the king star, Regulus, crossing the king planet Jupiter within the constellation of the lion Leo, king of the animals, three times. King, king, king. This would have all have been around the time of Jesus. More than that, the constellation of the lion, which is called that in every language as far back as the records go, has an association with the kingly tribe of Judah, the lion of Judah. The message was all there. They had the countdown from Daniel, these magi, And they knew what they were looking for in the skies because of what was being said. This triple kings, the stars all lined up right around the time Jesus would have been born. We know that. We can go back and figure out through Kepler's law and everything. We can go back and figure out what that the stars would have looked like during in and around the time of Jesus. They had the understanding of the stars, the word of God and prophecy, and they had the faith to believe it all. And they came with perfect presence. I mean, it's perfect. So here's the point that you maybe never have thought about. Why did these magi, I mean, they didn't know, they weren't part of Israel. They didn't, this shouldn't have been their king, but it was. Why? Because they were expectant. Why? Because they believed what God had said through his word. And he'd spoken to Daniel and that he'd carried on. It was so important to them and they were such men of faith. Well, their fathers were and their grandfathers and their great-grandfathers. Somehow all this had been passed down to them and now was the appointed time. These stars, these three king stars lined up, Regulus and Leo, and, and they all lined up and they said, okay, the king is here. 
And as a result, they were chosen, they were favored to become actors on this, in this grand cosmic play. I mean, I love that. Of course, it begs the question, are you expecting? Are you expectant? Who else was involved in this? Well, Simeon and Anna were involved. Let me just read this to you. How are we doing on time? I'm sitting here in my office. I lose track sometimes, and everybody said, yes, we know. We know you lose track of time. So Simeon and Anna, okay? Luke chapter 2, verse 21. I love this story too. Here's why I lose time, because I get so excited when I see I maybe I could be an actor in God's play. Maybe I could... Maybe I could begin to ask the Lord for these qualities of humility and identify as a bond slave and fear the Lord and be obedient in my life. Maybe God could use me. That's what I'm wanting you to draw. We're not just doing a history lesson here. If he can use Magi from out of nowhere, out of a, a foreign country, if he can use a teenage girl, if he can use as we're about to see, an old man and an old woman whose husband was long since passed, well, he can use, he can use us. So Luke chapter 2, verse 21. I, now, Jesus now is being presented at the, at the temple here, so he's not, this is right after his birth. So when, an eight, when eight days had were completed, so it was the time for his circumcision, he was also named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Okay, they're just going through. The, every, he's a normal Jewish young man. And to offer a sacrifice according to what had been stated in the law, a pair of turtle doves or two young doves. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was, now catch the qualities. We're, we're trying to get some insight. How does he become a, how, how, why are we talking about Simeon and Anna? How did, they be, how did they get a role in this play? Well, he was righteous and he was devout. And I love this. It catch this. He was looking forward to the consolation of Israel. He was looking for the king to come. He's looking to the, for the king to come. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And he had, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. In other words, he was listening. That he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And it came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, he took him in his arms. Now he begins to worship. So he's a worshiper. He blessed God. He said, now, Lord, you are allowing your bond slave. Here's another guy identifying as a bond slave. Definitely a quality of the actors in this play. You, I may now depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, the consolation of Israel. He, he knew. He was looking for the king. He says, okay, I've, I've seen it now. I can die. The Lord's spoken this to me, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Little did he know he had already been a light to the Gentiles. He probably didn't know about these magi who'd come to this, this little, a little barn, you know, essentially, maybe even a cave to see this inconspicuous beginning of the creator of the cosmos taking on human flesh. And his father and mother were amazed at the things that were being said. 
And Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Mary, behold, his child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel as a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul. In other words, he could see forward to the cross. Mary didn't understand it at this point, but she remembered what he had said, even to the end that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Jesus' death is going to change hearts. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, and she was advanced in years and had lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage. You know, she was an older woman. Her, her husband had passed away. I mean, everybody overlooks widows, don't they? I mean, God wouldn't be paying attention to her to bring her into this play. Well, obviously so, because we're, been talk we're talking about her 2,000 years later. Wow. Well, what were the qualities of Anna? Said she was advanced in years to live with her husband, as we saw. And then as a widow to the age of 84, she did not leave the temple grounds, serving night and day with fasts and prayers, which she devout. She was serious. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God. Worshiper continued to speak about him, not courageous, bold, not afraid to talk about it, to all those who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Other people who were in expectation of the king, the forever king coming. You know, this word expectantly, uh, the tzafa, means to lean forward and peer into the distance, okay? So in the last few minutes here, I'm just gonna give you a few scriptures. Are you ready for this? Here, we're gonna hang on. This is, man, this is good stuff, all right? It was like last week, seventh inning stretch here. This is good stuff. I, the Lord is challenging me in my own heart Jeff, set your expectations on the right thing. Are you an expectant person? Now, it doesn't just have to be about Jesus. It's primarily about Jesus, but then that will inform everything else. And some of the things you are living in expectancy about now maybe kind of go away because you just don't care anymore. But other things may begin to emerge. Okay, so what are the things that the define the expectant? What happens when we are expectant? Number one, we gain strength. Isaiah 40 says... Those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. This is about watching and waiting and listening. That's what people who are expectant do. Those who wait upon the Lord will gain new strength. Mount up on wings like eagles. They'll run. They won't get tired. They will walk. They won't become weary. Are you spiritually weary this morning? Become one of the expectant ones. Well, we also experience God's incredible goodness Lamentations 3, 25, the Lord is good to those who await him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. What are we waiting on? We're waiting for Jesus to come back. We're waiting, and our whole life is informed by the fact that he's coming back. If Jesus is not coming back, I wouldn't be here, I promise you. I, there's no way I'd be here right now but he's coming back. It's informed everything about my life. I have become one of the expectant ones. Well, we can also make a comeback. We can rise up. When we, when we wait, we, we rise. It sounds strange, but it's true in the spiritual sense. Listen to Micah, writing during the time of the prophet Isaiah. Micah 7, verse 7. As for me, I will be on the watch for the Lord, like, you know, looking out. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Don't rejoice over me, enemy of mine. Though I may fall, I will rise. Why? Because I am one who is watching for the Lord. 
I live in darkness, but the Lord is a light for me. And then finally, who are the expectant ones? Well, they become the favored ones. So we ask the question, why Mary? Because she was expectant. And this is perfect. Proverbs chapter 8, listen to Proverbs 8.34. Blessed is the person who listens to me, who watches daily at my gates, waiting for at the doorposts, at my doorposts, for one who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. What is faith? What is faith? It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things we can't see. In other words, we can't see it, but we're expecting it. We know it's coming. Jesus is coming back. Do you realize that? He is coming back. He told us. He's going to prepare a place. What is faith? Someone who listens, constantly watches, and then is willing to wait and wait and wait. Now, it's not just about Jesus' return. It's everything that God has promised you in your spirit, just like Simeon. He promised him he would see the consolation of Israel before he died. What has the Lord been promising you? What are those promises that you are patiently waiting for, watching for? You know, we have a club here, a uh, country club here in the valley uh, in La Quinta called the Madison Club. And their, their very logo, uh, some of our folks, uh, you know, our good friends, the McConnells, our big family, they moved to Dallas. We certainly miss them. But the, he was the director of golf at the Madison Club. And it is a telescope, their, their very logo. And it really hit me. I kept coming back to me this week always looking out, peering into the future. Well, that's the hope. That's the expectant ones. And again, this is the foundation for all. Jesus coming back is the foundation for your life. So as we close this down, I just wanted to, do you realize this is your heritage? I'm going to have Chris Herman read again. Catch this, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Now, I love this, and I'm going to go back and help you understand this little Greek word, and then we'll, and then we'll close here. Uh, Elder Herman, would you go ahead and take it away? Well, good morning again. I'm going to read now from 2 Peter 3, 10 through 14. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be discovered. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found spotless and blameless by him at peace. Back to you again, Jeff. Thank you, Mr. Herman. I uh, appreciate your help uh, this morning. So I, I want to pull up one part. So what we're seeing is we're, we're seeing the end of things. Elements are melting, you know, and the, the, we're going to have new heavens and new earth. This is what Peter is talking about. And then again, as, as he just read, Chris read, since all these things are to be destroyed, what kind of people ought we to be? And then verse 12, looking for looking for, telescope, imagine, telescope, looking for the coming of the Lord. What kind of people, what kind of people we should we be if we are looking? This is the foundation. If we're looking for Jesus to return, how does that inform life? What kind of people we are, should we be? 
consumed with other things. We don't want to be the unwise virgins, you know, or out in the parable Jesus tells, or don't have any oil in their in their light, in their lamp. We don't want to be those unprepared for the return of the master. We want to be in constant expectation. That word, looking. I didn't know this Greek word. And it, I woke up early this morning, and it just kept going through my mind. And go look up the word, this word, looking. And this word, uh, prosdokeo, is, you know what it means? I said, Lord, is this, I bet it's defined as expectancy. And it is. It's exactly what the definition of this word is. To expect to look for, to wait for. That's the definition, this telescope, looking for Jesus to return. So what kind of people are we? Well, in closing, I'll tell you exactly what we are. We're people who don't shrink back. We're courageous. We're bond slaves. We're self-identified bond slaves. We live in the expectation that the king will return. The actors on the first play here that we've been talking about this morning were anticipating his first coming, and they got used. They got to be part of the play. We are now actors on the play waiting for his second return. Okay, you ready? So what kind of people are we? Hebrews chapter 10, in closing, verse 35. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward. You have need of endurance. Come on, people, be expectant so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, I'll just let this go down in this pandemic world we live in, in a little while, he who is coming, he's gonna come. He's not gonna delay. My righteous one will live by faith. That person who listens and, and watches and then obeys immediately. That person will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, well, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we're, we're not of those who shrink back. Not No church at the red door in our community. We're not, we're not those who shrink back. But what? Those who have faith for the what? The safekeeping of the soul. So what is the Lord doing for you this morning in your own heart? Is he reigniting some faith in your heart? You know, I, I realize I haven't really been thinking about Jesus coming back. And as a result, that hasn't informed the rest of my life. I'm just so caught up in all these 8,000 other things that I've been doing. My job and my marriage and my money and my leisure and my whatever. I, am, I don't live in that daily expectation of now not just the consolation of Israel and the light to the Gentiles, but the coming back of a king in power and authority when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, the, the heavens and the earth will implode and then there'll be new heavens and new earth. Do I live in light of that or do I lose track of that? Well, I'm challenging you this morning, let's be a church of expectation and trust God, believe God and watch our, watch our community ignite. What's one of the biggest things we'll do if we're living in the expectation of Jesus coming back? Well, we'll want to take other people with us. We won't just be packing off and going off in a cave somewhere. We'll want to be a light. We'll put it up on a put it up on a stand. When we get this land, and we will get this land by faith, and when we get this building built, and, and this is a this is a monument to 
the faithfulness of God and a, and a lighthouse to this community right there on Jefferson Street. When we get that done, God, just by faith, when that happens, it's going to be a light. Why? Because we're going to take as many people with us as we can because we know that Jesus is coming back. All right, folks, I hope that impacts you. That was a, That's the best I've got this morning. Um, don't you just love Jesus? Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you came as you promised through all the prophets and there were people waiting for you to come. Shepherds in the field, magi from the east that didn't even know about Israel that much other than what had been told them by Daniel. But they knew a king was coming. Just a little girl. Just a, just a, not even, she's betrothed but not married yet. She gets to play a part. A barren woman got to play a part. An 85-year-old woman whose husband had long left the scene of the play, she got to play a role. Father, I want to play a role. Jeff Cranford wants to be an actor on your cosmic stage, preparing, preparing the way for Jesus to come back a second time. Church at the Red Door, if you want to pray that, you just tell the Lord right now, I want to be an actor on the play. I want to be an actor in this play. I don't want to sit on the sidelines. I want to be expectant, Lord, and ask him, Lord, forgive me. I've not been living in a place of expectation. I've been thinking about too many other things, and I want to be riveted on your coming back. Will you forgive me and make me an actor in this great cosmic play of redemption? In Jesus' name, amen. We love you, Church of the Red Door. Hope you have a wonderful...